Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's correct. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. Classic Gaming Brothers. We're two brothers and we're making a podcast. That's right. About video games. Yeah, sometimes they're classic. Sometimes they're classic. We're always classy. We are always classy. Uh, uh, If you're new to the show, then our podcast is separated into three different segments. Our first segment, we talk about what we've recently been playing. Our middle segment is going to be the segment of the week. And our final segment so our buy wait pass segment where we talk about things that we're excited about buying waiting or passing on so zach what have you been uh playing recently so i've recently been playing uh castlevania 4 um, also known as super castlevania 4 um which was originally released on the super nintendo i have been playing it through um use of a the castlevania anniversary collection which was released on the playstation 4 um back in 2019 so the game originally came out back in 1991 on the super nintendo but um was re-released as part of a package complete with um the rest of the final fantasy uh, whoa castlevania games which was the original castlevania castlevania 2 simon's quest castlevania 3 dracula's curse super castlevania the two games on the game boy bloodlines which was on the sega genesis and kid dracula which was exclusive to japan i've just been playing through i've played through it before on the super nintendo um i don't actually not gotten that far in it because it is a fairly difficult game as all the castlevania games tend to be um but it is uh fun to play you play as simon belmont as you go around fighting monsters uh and going to kill dracula because he is back now, is the Castlevania series, do you feel like it's also kind of akin to the Metroid series in regards to playstyle and gameplay? Uh, so, the later Castlevania games, so the original Castlevania games up until Castlevania 4 um, had a more of a linear gameplay style. Um, you pretty much went from right to left, um, doing some traversing up and down, but it wasn't as complex as Metroid is. Um, when the game right. got... When the game got brought over to the PlayStation in a game called uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which was kind of a complete redesign of Castlevania, that changed up the gameplay style to be less of the linear gameplay and more of uh, branching paths and kind of taking the game any direction that you want to take it, which makes it more like Metroid in that regard. Kind of games of the style um, after Symphony of the Night began to be known as Metroidvania games due to um, due to that similarity. Um, Castlevania 4 is not the style. It is more linear, uh, more akin to the classic Castlevania games. Um, I personally like both. I think Symphony of the Night is a great game. Um, I, I also have that on the PlayStation 4 um, through use of uh, a, a combo uh, release called uh, Castlevania Requiem, which comes with a game called Rondo of Blood, which was a TurboGrafx-16 only game released in Japan, um, and Symphony of the Night, which they're they're actually connected to each other. And we never got Rondo of Blood. Um, we got a, a port of it for the Super Nintendo that was not good um, and not canon. Uh, so, but anyway, Castlevania 4, um, Super Castlevania 4 is a bit more similar to the traditional style of Castlevania. Same setting as the original Castlevania, you're in Dracula's castle at 1691 in Transylvania, and you are hunting Dracula to end him because he is back, um, and you can't have Dracula being back. No. That's bad. 
No, it's bad. That's always bad when Dracula's back. He causes yeah. just well, he just causes trouble. There's um some cool features that are not in the other Castlevania games that are in Super Castlevania Four. Um, one being that Simon can swing with his whip, which is pretty cool. Mm. You can kind of like hook onto these uh these uh, hooks that are sometimes just placed in the air because you know how video games are and you can swing across gaps with that. Um, there's a really cool level later in the game where you're holding onto one of the hooks and the whole level rotates around you. So you have to kind of like platform differently because the level will just start moving underneath you as you're, as you're, as you're exploring. So there's some cool gimmicks in the game. You can also like, if you hold down the whip attack and then move the D pad around, um simon will whip his like whip in all the different directions like crazy um and kind of you can use that to like knock projectiles out of the air um kind of a neat little uh feature that's not available in the other castlevania games yeah i mean if you did have random hooks spread throughout the dungeon where would the bad guy or dracula hang his capes exactly exactly you know it's it's perfect it sounds like a fun game. Um, it is. It is. It is. Um, as mentioned, it's one of the one of the last traditional Castlevania games that was right. available on the the Nintendo consoles. There were Rondo of Blood, which was released for the PC Engine or TurboGrafx sixteen here in America. Also follows kind of a more of a classic style Castlevania. It's not as branching as Symphony. Um, and then Bloodlines, which was released on the Sega Genesis and is the only Castlevania that was on the Sega. Um, is also more of a traditional Castlevania game that does not have the branching pathways. So pretty much once Symphony of Night came out, it went back to that. Uh, it went to that Metroidvania style of uh, branching pathways and such. So I've uh, been recently been playing the. Uh, I'm not going to wait. I'm just going to go. Yeah, that's uh, fine. I, t- I take. Sometimes I, I don't. I'm sometimes I just don't ask. Sometimes I'm like. Yeah. Eh, sometimes you don't me. ask, and then it's just an awkward silence that are you have to edit out anyway. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, the game that I've been most recently been playing is uh, a game called the Red Strings Club. It's a cyberpunk adventure game that was developed by Deconstruct Team and published by Devolver Digital, which we've uh, talked about Devolver Digital before. I think in the shopping game or shopping episode, we were talking about Devolver. Um, They they produce like Bra uh, Bra not Brawlhalla the Broforce. Broforce. They've also done uh, Hotline Miami um and Hotline Miami, yep they've done a bunch of games um they're i know their style tends to be like the 8-bit or not 8-bit but like a pixel art style right. um uh game style yep and this this game uh stays right within that style of uh what devolver digital and what obviously deconstruct team uh have decided on is like a uh, uh and more of a 8-bit graphics um it, it takes place in a cyberpunk world, and you where in the cyberpunk world there is a common place of implanting things into humans oh, cool. to alter features or mental functions. Yeah. And you play essentially. There's three players that you play as the main players, main characters. Um, you play as this character named Brandeis, who's an enhanced implanted human and he's a freelance hacker a guy by the name of donovan who's uh an implantless human and the owner of the uh namesake the red strings club Mm -hmm. and uh 
an android known as Akara 184, whose job was to put do implant surgery, and is kind of uh, like a uh, so it's an artificial intelligence, but it's like a very empathetic and super intelligent artificial intelligence. Um, I think that's what's one of the cool things that I liked about the game is when you play as Donovan, you're running a bar and you have an ability to manipulate people's emotions by concocting the right drink combination. So you may need to use uh, like a tequila and rum combination and then use uh, either gla- uh, ice or no ice or shake it in order to get it to the right section of the screen. It's like a little mini game and you can put them in the right mood to then ask questions that you want the right answers for. You know, you want to lead them down. And so I think that's just a unique aspect. And the game is full of these like little, like the story, choosing the, you know, the dialogue and the story, like a traditional adventure game, but also like with these little mini games that are like fun little puzzler games. And I think it's a, a good way to kind of break up the, the overall adventure game. Uh, I'm a few hours in. I'm not uh, anywhere where I have any... I feel like there's definitely a lot more of the game for me to play. I don't know exactly what a good runtime to let everybody know what the runtime is for it. But uh, I definitely have at least gotten two hours worth of time. And I still feel like I'm in the beginning of the game. So it was. Uh, it's, a, it's a fun game. I really, I, I, I'm a fan of the cyberpunk type of uh, genre. So, like, I like Shadowrun, I like the different uh, cyberpunk games, I'll like cyber... I've talked about Cyberpunk 2077 in the big, one of the first few episodes of this podcast. Yeah, so yeah. I really like the genre, so I, I, I like the game, and it's been pretty good. So, I think this, uh, this episode we're actually going to go back to uh, a style f- where we did for the Journeyman series... And uh, oh, kind of almost the mech series as well, where we it's more more kind of the Journeyman episode where we talked about Journeyman and all the different and the Mist episode where we talk about the games. So this time around, we're going to talk about a, a game series called XCOM. That's right. Uh, though we're not going to be talking about the new XCOM. So we're not going to be talking about any XCOM game that has come out in uh, anything past two thousand and one, and. So we're going to talk about just XCOM, the original series, uh, and talk about its roots, where it came from the companies of uh, Mythos Games and also uh, Microprose uh, Games. So uh, the Mythos Game Studio was uh, actually another studio developed by brothers. Uh, This brother, uh, Nick and Julian, uh, created the uh, um, Nick and Julian... Uh, Glop uh, created the Mythos Game Studio, and they were inspired by various um, role-playing games of the time, uh, D&D, and uh, I think even Chainmail, since the original game came out in uh, 88, so it would have been just D&D. But they were inspired by uh, those type of games to make a strategy turn-based tactics game, and being like a war game. And their original game that they came out with was a game called Laser Squad. And Laser Squad was created for the Spectrum C64? No, so um, the Laser Squad was created for the ZX Spectrum. Um, 
so the ZX Spectrum was a computer over in England uh, created by Sinclair Industries. Uh, they created uh, the Spectrum and a couple other computers over there. It was then later ported to the Commodore 64 um, and uh, a couple other computers and then eventually to the PC. Right. And that game originally came with five mission scenarios and an expansion pack. Uh, so it, it got very high, high reviews and the it's actually funny. So the game, it's actually military based. I don't think it has anything to do with aliens, but the cover art of the, the box actually is, if you look at the cover art and then you look at the Firaxis XCOM Enemy Unknown cover art, it is pretty much the same cover art because they are deliberately playing to homage to laser squad yeah a nice little uh nice little callback um that they did there which and that will probably be our only reference to the um, new XCOM enemy unknown <laughs> yes. um so after laser squad came out uh the uh, nick and uh julian got together and they created a game called ufo enemy unknown uh, in America, it was marketed as XCOM UFO Defense, and when it was released on the PlayStation, it was titled XCOM Enemy Unknown. So if you're, if it was a European game, it was a European Enemy Unknown. If you're a PC game, it was definitely XCOM uh, UFO Defense, and it was originally going to be a sequel to the Mythos Laser Squad. And it ended up going and taking on a different turn where you go up against aliens. And this game, it is just like a cult classic. It's very, 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 very difficult. Even on the easy settings, the game is very difficult. Uh, yes. There's a lot of micromanagement that's done. You, uh, you end up having to build a base, you have to construct the base, you have to do like human resources activities of buying, you know, you have to hire people, you have to buy equipment, you have to make sure that there's a, you have enough bullets that you're going to use to fight the aliens that you're going to fight. And then on top of that, you then have to go and fight those aliens in a squad base uh, tactics screen. So first you have to do all this base management and you have to just keep your lights on and then you have to f fly these ships out and shoot down alien ships, hopefully, and then land at their wreckages and essentially trying to get more alien technology to eventually take the fight to the aliens. And it is, uh, in, it is a game that is rough because if you don't make sure every... So you get paid by countries to essentially be your be the defense against mm. these aliens and if the country if you piss off the country enough they'll stop funding you and if enough countries stop funding you you lose the game because they've all turned to the alien side so it's just it's tough it is a tough tough game it's just yeah it's crazy jumping around there's also very little tutorial uh, I don't actually think there is a tutorial. No. I think the game the game relies solely on the fact that you're going to read the manual before playing the game. And if you don't read the manual and you just buy it on Steam and you boot it up, good luck. Like, it's going to be rough. <laughs> I think, didn't you just boot it up recently? I, I booted it up actually not too long before we started recording. And um, Seth is right. It gives you absolutely no direction 
on where to go um, or what to do. Uh, besides telling you, the first thing it tells you, though, is to place a base, and that took me a couple seconds to figure out what it actually meant to place the base. <laughs> so it, 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 it is exactly as you said. You know, you need to read the manual or read up on the game before you get into it. Um, though I'm sure at this point there's probably some people out there who have most likely recorded um, kind of a, a tutorial on the opening to XCOM just in order to get started. Um, I'm sure you can find something like that on YouTube or um, like through a walkthrough or something. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, it's definitely a game that I would, I definitely read a little bit before you boot it up and just jump into it. Or I mean, if you think you're good with video games, good luck. It's definitely not going to handhold you through the, uh, the process. You're going to be up, up, up a little bit they do give you some starting they give you like a starting base and some starting equipment and some starting troops so it's not like you're completely thrown to the winds right yeah it it's it the difficulty ramps pretty quickly so with that said there is so they that game was developed by mythos games and microprose games what became the publisher and with that with microprose they ended up kind of trying to take over the development as well Mm -hmm. and they for the next game ended up kind of pushing mythos games away and developed the game themselves so they developed the second xcom series since the first xcom series even though it was super difficult was selling very well they just they they said that they were going to make a game in six months and they ended up making it about a year later called XCOM Terror from the Deep. Yeah, so um, and as Seth described, with the development of Terror from the Deep, um, what ended up happening was Microprose wanted Mythos to make the sequel to Enemy Unknown within six months, and Julian Gallup uh, felt his his idea was that the best way to do a remake was to or a sequel rather was to change up the graphics and make some updates to the gameplay um and microprose apparently was having none of this so they licensed the code themselves and then just started working on the game without mythos involved at all uh and what terror from the deep ended up becoming was essentially just a reskin of the first game um with a new setting it was set underwater as opposed to being um on on the land um and um i i haven't played or i haven't watched you play that game in forever but you're also fighting aliens underwater i imagine that's the that's the thing yeah yep so you're the the game takes primarily i'm gonna say 80 percent underwater um it's all water-based aliens so they actually took a lot of the aliens from the original xcom and essentially like you said reskinned them but even the artwork so like there's a, a classic alien called the sectoid uh, in the original UFO enemy uh, unknown and that is like the just kind of like ET-ish looking big head yeah uh, shorter stature type alien so they turned him green gave him a fin and called him an octoid or an aquatoid and they did that they did that kind of switcheroo with the take one of the um aliens from ufo enemy unknown and just make them oh aquatic and be like yep this is the same alien same tactic same fighting style just underwater and so which is actually so getting i got both of those gifts as games as gifts i think i got ufo defense as a as a christmas gift and i think i picked up xcom tftd later in those years 
Um, I, I didn't mind. I loved them. I, I really enjoyed, I actually enjoyed XCOM Terra from the Deep so much that I had a strategy guide, because you needed it, to play the game. And it was probably, from my memory, 300 pages long. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a thick, thick book. Um, we should try. I think it still exists. I think somewhere, I think it possibly my dad still has it, but um, I'll try and find it and uh, see if I can take a picture or something for it. It's, it is a, it is a big, it is a big strategy guide. And uh, that was uh, probably, but I, so I beat Terror from the Deep. I never actually ended up beating Enemy Unknown. Um, I did beat Terror from the Deep. At the end, you're fighting, now looking back at some type of like, Cthulhu-like creature in a crypt-type situation oh. underwater in this multi-level um, map that you had to engage in, like, a multi-tier base that you had to invade. Um, I thought one of the cool things about both the XCOM Terror from the Deep and XCOM UFO Defense was that when they, you were... If you pissed off the aliens enough, you could be... Well, you were trying to... You could find alien bases and you mount assaults against these enemy bases... But sometimes the aliens would be so pissed off at you that they would mount an assault against your base. Right. And you would have to defend your base. And it was cool because you would go from the scene, you would always see the base. You would see your base, but you would only see it from a top-down view where it's like very almost cartoony, like kind of like construction yeah. out- outline. And then when you got to play it, you were in the the battlescape as it were and it was kind of like an isometric uh squad base screen and you were able to go and you had to go through your base design so like if you poorly laid out your base you you're fighting aliens in it so now you're like screwing yourself because you're like oh the barracks is so far away from the entrance so i'm like hustling through and trying to get to the other side of the base and it just ends up being where um it's it was cool that you could kind of directly see something like i didn't even know that them invading my base was a thing until they invaded my base. Oh, cool. And then I was like, oh, here we go. Oh, what if I shot a rocket launcher down to where the missiles are staying and there's a big explosion and all that. So <laughs> I, I think that, uh, I think that was a kind of cool feature that was uh, part of the game as well. I, I really liked both those two games. Um, then after those two games came out uh, in 97, Mythos Games came back and created uh, the XCOM Apocalypse. So XCOM Apocalypse was the uh, the third game in the series. And it was concentrated down, instead of a whole globe and picking your, either you're on land or underwater and picking like a whole world, like a world to deal with and having to deal with country politics, it was concentrated down on a city. And so there was a cityscape and then uh, a, the battlescape, the isometric combat. And they definitely did change the gra- uh, the graphics and they changed the gameplay. And you could uh, squad base your, you can move your characters in squad bases now instead of moving them all individually. You can move them as a group and you can have certain features on so that they would, you know, if you move them and they encountered something, they'd automatically fire. So they, they definitely added some like quality of life stuff. But unfortunately, um, the Microprose still wanted to be kind of involved. And Julian and Microprose just did not get on to the point where Julian called the relationship disastrous. 
and said th that the game it was just the game was a disaster area apocalypse was quite a sophisticated ambitious game but it was a big mistake from our point of view um, in retrospect they should have originally done agreed to do a sequel in six months and spent the year doing it just like uh, Microprose did and it would have been a lot better versus what they did so the first two games sold very well together with uh, UFO enemy unknown terror from the deep had sales past a million copies by March of 1997 um, sold very very well uh, XCOM apocalypse sold well it didn't it didn't sell as well it, it did do work and it was one of a very successful it was still pretty successful and they felt the um, intellectual property could continue on. So Microprose decided in uh, 1998 to take the XCOM series and make a different game. And so they made XCOM Interceptor, which apparently only sold 30,000 copies. That's sad. <laughs> of which, of which... One was mine. That's right. That's right. You have a one in 30,000. One in 30,000 copy of XCOM Interceptor. Um, so it's the fourth game in the series and was uh, developed and published by Microprose and was a spice, space flight simulation, business simulation, strategy game. Uh, you were building space stations still. Now you're building space stations and you're flying in ships and you would be going and if almost playing like tie fighter or similar games to like tie fighter or wing commander yeah is uh very similar style games where you're in the cockpit of a spaceship and you're um flying around with the trying to destroy other ships and disabling crafts and destroying uh, bases. And interestingly enough, the game takes place before Apocalypse. So thus it is the third in the story of XCOM, I guess. Um, and uh, the and then eventually the last one comes through and oh, the Apocalypse comes after that. There is a, I just, I remember we played this game. There is a mission, there is a weapon that you get, which is called the Nova, which is a large missile. And instead of destroying the target, it you aim it at the central star to the system. And then upon impact, it would cause the star to destroy, explode. explode oh, that's intense. everything in the system to, to be destroyed. And it's called... Uh, the Nova and the what? So essentially, <laughs> the aliens are developing a doomsday device to destroy the surface of the Earth. So the XCOM units develop the Nova and destroy the star system that the aliens are from. So <laughs> it's just a it's just an interesting yeah. way of uh, sounds like the First Order uh, took some uh, cues from. Uh, cues from the XCOM team <laughs> with their with Starkiller base over in uh, Force Awakens. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just uh, completely just um, XCOM just likes to respond with deadly force. Yeah. Hey. So, um, Microprose continued on with their uh, decide decision to put XCOM on different things, 
And the next game that they came out was a game called XCOM Enforcer. Your favorite uh, game. It is a, it's my absolute favorite game. Um, it is a, it is probably one of the, I don't like it. I, I don't like the game. It is not an XCOM game. Enforcer at least, I mean, Interceptor at least pretends to be an XCOM game. Right. Enforcer has no desire to be any type of even close to XCOM game. It doesn't I feel even, like the like the cover I'm looking at the cover for the game on on Wikipedia yeah. you can pull it up it has the cover for the game. It looks nothing like an XCOM game. The the guy that is on the cover looks like a Brotherhood of Steel person from yeah, from I was gonna Fallout. Say it's a Fallout guy. And like in the background I guess you see gray aliens, but that's it. <laughs> like that's XCOM. <laughs> so it's a purely an action third-person shooter game with no elements of strategy whatsoever, and it is the last XCOM game released until uh, Firaxis picks up the intellectual property in 2012. So from so 2001 was when XCOM Enforcer came out. So from 2001 for 11 years, for those who are fans of XCOM, there is no xcom there there are children born and grown up before during the entire time of (laughs) well not grown up but you if you're born in 2001 by the time that you come out when by the time you're 11 that's it takes you till 11 before another xcom game is released yeah that's a portion of whole whole portion of your life yeah portion of entire someone's life there was there was a dearth of no xcom that it said there was one more XCOM game that we wanted to talk about. Ah, uh, which has the best cover art of any video game ever made. This game came out between 98 and 2001. It came out in 1999. And Zachary, you've been reading up on it. So can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I can read up. A, uh, I, I read up a little bit on it. So this game was called XCOM First Alien Invasion. Um, and was part of a budget range of uh, series released by Hasbro, which was part of this play-by-mail concept. Um, specifically, it was a play-by-email concept. So the way the way this worked was that um, it, it was essentially hot seat multiplayer, but by by email. So with a play-by-email system or play-by-mail system, the games differ from most popular online multiplayer games where when you're playing an online multiplayer game now um you can just you can just pop in whenever with play by mail however the players can play whenever they choose because the responses aren't immediate because you are making your decision through text (laughs) so you are you are essentially sending the decision of the character through text to be made and then it will eventually respond and your character will move based on the decision that you have d- declared by email. So I would say it was turn-based, but it was also very tedious turn-based. Um, it was uh, after all the enemy units were killed, so it would play out like a traditional game of traditional game of enemy unknown. Um, all the weapons in the maps and such were based on enemy unknown. But after all the units were killed, the winner of this match would have their final score calculated from uh, based on their movement, stealth, firepower, and bravery. And you could win assorted, uh, essentially like titles. Um, so you can you can get like you know a good job or clumsy <laughs> or another one, which was 
terrible. So you could get a score that just told you that you were terrible at it. Which um, is actually true to the original UFO Defense, Enemy Unknown, uh, and uh, XCOM TFTD, that the end of each of the engagements with the aliens, it would give you a score. And you would either get a okay or a terrible. That's and so good. So uh... Because it, it would always do it if you, even if you killed civilians. I actually have a... a that I created once with the the breakdown of uh, all the different deaths, and it was like humans deaths and all you know, civilian deaths, aliens deaths, XCOM deaths. Hey, if you walk away with one person, you're okay. <laughs> but it's they, there was a there was a rating system, and they would tell you if you were terrible. It, the game would even before this email game, which once uh, Hasbro Interactive ceased operations, so did the email servers. Yes, it does not work. Um, and I, th- I can see where Hasbro was going with it. The whole idea of play-by-mail games or play-by-post games um, goes back to the 80s. Um, and even before that, there was the whole idea of what was called correspondence chess, which, which goes back even further than the 80s. I mean, that's, that's the, whole, the concept of that has been played for centuries. Um, the, the idea of correspondence chess is pretty much the same thing. You'd get a postcard that would have a chessboard on it you you wrote down what your move was going to be and then you sent the postcard off and that was the move you made and someone a game master usually would be the one running the game um so going from xcom's turn-based method of gameplay it kind of was a logical step for hasbro to take saying hey let's take this old idea of a play-by-post and set it to this new crazy world of email um and and try it this way um but as you can imagine this whole system was very tedious and was not one that people really flocked to so it was not a uh not a not the 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 big seller that hasbro was anticipating and who is this uh this so this microprose company interesting to know this was a an company that made video games and published video games it started in 1982 and only went defunct in 2003 long enough to kill the XCOM series that's right um, they uh, were actually founded by uh, Sid Meier and a guy by the name of Bill Steely and Sid Meier is the same Sid Meier who has done all of the Civilization series so it's interesting to see this um, really well-known people. Sid Meier's is a very famous uh, video game developer, designer, programmer, um, brand that uh, had this kind of relationship with the XCOM guys to the point where they kind of almost, they had an intellectual property that they kind of used and abused and, and that's it. it it went away. The XCOM, like I said, XCOM stopped in 2001. And we didn't get it until um, Microprose went defunct. And when Microprose went defunct, there was uh, a buy-up of the properties that Microprose had. And eventually, 2K and Firaxis picked up the XCOM property. And they said, we could do something with this. And they moved forward well, with it. And what, what's funny about Firaxis um, is that one of their founders is Sid Meier. 
Right. So, <laughs> so you he, could say he, Sid Meier not only killed XCOM, but he resurrected XCOM. He brought it back. <laughs> That's he, right. He is. He's. He maybe he knew that uh, they um, XCOM was still a a good property and it needed its time in the sun again and it did and it's been a very successful property the new the new xcom series uh was successful enough to get a sequel and uh it's i think it's it's still i think there's still just recently some expansion packs released so it's still doing very well sells well it's a lot of fun i recommend if you try playing the older xcom and it is too hard which it is probably go play the new XCOM and you'll have fun and still get the same kind of story. Yeah. And, and before we completely finish on XCOM, there was also a series of games that were, I, I, I can briefly touch upon these as quickly as I can, um, called the UFO series that came out. So the UFO series were kind of like, essentially what happened was, um, this company called Altair Interactive realized that, um, XCOM was a very, fascinating game that was doing really well and in the early 2000s they realized well hey there's no more XCOM so let's make our XCOM (laughs) and they created a series of games called uh, UFO so there's UFO Aftermath UFO Aftershock and UFO Afterlight which are all created by Altair Interactive and all follow kind of the general idea of XCOM um, in that you play as a um earth military organization that has to fight aliens um through turn-based combat um so there's definitely they're not officially XCOM games but you will usually see them listed as games inspired by XCOM. there's also another game called ufo extraterrestrials which was unrelated to those ufo games (laughs) it was created by a different company (laughs) yeah also, uh, there's all, similar to Xcom and Xenonauts. Yeah, there's, there's Xenonauts, which is another kind of spiritual successor to Xcom. I feel if the if the game came out after 2001, it was probably attempting to get some sort of uh, spiritual successor tie-in back to Xcom to get to that audience that really liked Xcom but did not have Xcom because they didn't weren't making them anymore yeah um so i feel like that's where like xenonauts and ufo defense or what was that first one ufo series um, the, so ufo aftershock after aftershock yeah after where those games came into play math. and then there was also the bureau which was a xcom game uh it is yep <laughs> it, it sure not is. good <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> uh, it looks like XCOM has a couple of not good games, but the Bureau is uh, a game, and uh, it right. is branded <laughs> XCOM, and that's where we'll leave that. Uh, so, look, we've even mentioned the Bureau, which is fine. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's 100% more than what we were going to do with it earlier. Uh, that's, that's very true. Um, and, and lastly, there's a game, um, turn-based tactics game, that was created by Julian Gollop that um, came out in December of just this past year and is going to be brought over to the PlayStation and Xbox One in 2020 called Phoenix Point, um, which is set in a future Earth during the midst of an alien invasion where you are playing as military people fighting aliens in a tactical RPG. So (laughs) um, definitely very XCOM inspired, Um, though this one apparently takes also some more of Lovecraftian elements um, into the mix. 
it's uh, it's also cool i like that game uh, his phoenix game in regards to phoenix point is it yeah phoenix point um versus xcom so in the xcom unknown game by firaxis you have like a percentage to hit and it may be very low percentage of hit depending on how the unit is set up but in phoenix point you actually can go into like a zoom in mode where you actually if you can see the alien sticking or coming through or poking outside the wall you can hit it and it's kind of a different take on the whole um type of tactical it's a different game than XCOM. It's not a, necessarily a clone. It's going to be similar because Julian Glop created XCOM, so he's going to go back on his roots. I think that's probably enough XCOM for one episode. Yeah, that's enough. That's enough XCOM. So, uh, what, why don't we get into the uh, the by weight pass uh, segment here? Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, do you want to take it away? You want me to take it away? I'll take it away. Um, so right. the, the Byway Pass game for me today is, so technically it's a game that has already come out. It came out in 1995, but it is getting its first official English translation and as well as a remake. Um, and that is Saiken Densetsu 3, also known as Trials of Mana. Um, so Trials of Mana is the third game in the Mana franchise, which started way back with the original Saiken Densetsu, which got translated over into um, into America as actually it was called Final Fantasy Adventure, and then Saiken Densetsu Two became Secret of Mana, um, and now Saiken Densetsu Three is Trials of Mana, and so on. Um, so we never got an original English version of this. Um, it originally came out for the Super Famicom, um, which is the Japanese Super Nintendo, um, and as mentioned we've we've never seen an official english translation so it's cool that we're finally getting one um it is a remake of of the game so they're they're updating the graphics they're updating dialogue and such um and kind of uh square annex is giving it its own um little spin so you play you play as a character in this in this kind of fantasy world uh similar to final fantasy and um you you have to fight monsters and you have to go through this epic quest the biggest difference though is because this is an action role-playing game um the combat is all in real time as opposed to a turn base um, which would be like a traditional jrpg um has um, so the, the gameplay is um, a bit more similar to what you might see in Legend of Zelda or more recently in Kingdom Hearts, which is an action role-playing game. Personally, I think I'm at a wait right now and really only just because I want to kind of play through the rest of the Mana games. I've played most of Secret of Mana for the Super Nintendo, but I would like to get back into it and try to finish it. Um, I also recently only got a copy of Final Fantasy Adventure, which was the original Saiken Densetsu, and I want to play through that as well um, to kind of experience the game in order. Um, from my understanding, the the plot isn't super connected, but you know, I, I do want to kind of experience uh, the games as they were supposed to be played. Um, so I think I'm at a wait right now for Trials of Mana, but it is supposed to be out in. Uh, april of 2020 for the window for windows switch and ps4 nice that sounds fun i i think i i'm pretty sure i played some of the mana games back in the day i have to i'll look them up and see if i uh 
played them. I think so, I think we did have a family member who had Secret of Mana at least. Um, Secret of Mana. I, yeah, I remember I've playing played that. Secret of Mana. I'm 100 sure. So um, the game that I'm uh, kind of looking forward to is a game called Steamliner. Oh, cool! And it describes as a car is you're welcome aboard the Steamliner. As a carriage tester, you will experience anything from classic escape rooms to physics-defying surrealistic 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 scenarios. Try to solve brain-melting puzzles inside a Victorian railway that is traveling through space. So you're on a Victorian train, you're traveling through space, it's also VR. So it's a VR escape room adventure while you're in a carriage of a Victorian train. And uh, it actually just came out um, in on February 19th. And it looks like it's a... So I, so I have an HTC Vive. I'm kind of always kind of also on the lookout for some kind of puzzle games that um, are very in-depth and like immersive. So the more immersive puzzle games out there, I'm going to be able to pick up. Uh, it's not a wait right now. I'm, it's, I don't know. I, I think I'm going to pick it up, but I don't know. It might just sit on my wish list forever, but it's something that if I feel like I'm like, oh, I want to play my Vive. Oh, I really need a new game. Maybe I'll pick it up kind of thing. No, yeah, um, I get that. But it's, I, I just like, I like escape rooms. I like Victorian things and i like vr games so there it is so that's what i got awesome well i think that being said we're gonna tie up this episode of of uh, of our show um as always if if you want to reach out to us there's plenty of ways you can send us an email at uh classic gaming brothers at gmail.com or you could visit our website classicgamingbrothers.com where we have a contact form in case email's not your thing and sending a contact form is. Um, you could also reach out to us indirectly through our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, um, all of which are Classic Gaming Brothers, except for Twitter because it's silly, um, which is CG Brothers Pod uh, is the Twitter handle. Um, you, so you can reach us out to us indirectly there, and uh, Seth or myself will respond to you um, if, if we see the message. Um, yep, usually also, me. Yeah, usually Seth. Um, me, if, I, if it's the Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can also find us on pretty much every available podcast listening application. Um, CastBox, Stitcher, uh, Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, I think we're on Google Podcasts or something, yep. right? Yep. Um, so yeah, we're, we're pretty much everything. Um, we've also been uploading our um, shows over to YouTube so that um, people can check them out there as well. So yep, yeah. Which is at Classic Gaming Brothers as well. Yep. So that's um, all the different ways to reach out to us. Um, if you have any suggestions for the podcast, if you have any critiques or any comments, definitely reach out to us. We always love to um, hear what people have to say. And we, and we do go through the emails when we get them and we do read through them. And Seth and I will talk about them. You know, Seth will message me saying, Hey, do you read what so-and-so um, said? Um, and, and we will discuss about the, the critiques. Yes. You just reminded me we do have, we're going to do our giveaway drawing uh, next episode and we will uh, draw a name from the giveaway and we will read their name on the podcast and it'll be exciting yeah so and the winner also, look out in your email for an email 
for winning. Also, the last thing is uh, we recently announced that we um, were creating a store and we have launched the store. Um, you can get a t-shirt with our logo on it or you can get a mug with our logo on it. I believe those are the two available items. Correct. Um, so if for some reason you want to drink out of a mug that has Seth or my face on it or you want to just wear Seth or my face on it, um, you can go to our website. You can um, grab one of those. Um, that being said, if you don't have the money to support us, if, if you if you um, you know are just a fan of listening and you don't really want to spend money on us, that is perfectly fine. Seth and I do this for fun. Um, so like, subscribe, yes, listen, like, subscribe, share, ring bells. Those are the important things, and those are the things we really care about. Yes. So that being said, there's one last thing I have to say. And that is. Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Zach. And I've been Seth. And we've been the classic gaming brothers. Yes, we have. That's right. That's why why do you have to say you can't? Kill it, kill it with fire.